Welcome, everyone, to Soccer 101, the show in which we attempt to explain the things in soccer that may seem straightforward, but always have a little more going on under the surface. Today, with the season winding down, the smell is in the air. Let the transfer speculation begin. We've done episodes on how transfers work, on free transfers and what they are, uh, how clubs go about purchasing players. Today, we're taking a longer look at the speculation side of things. Where do rumors come from? Why does transfer speculation seem so ever-present? Which media outlets can be trusted and which ones are the sun? All that and more, <laughs> plus some Graham Ruffin. Hi, Graham. Hello, Taylor Rotwell there. Uh, some some early barbs thrown in there for good measure. <laughs> Am I wrong, Graham? Am I wrong? Uh, no, you're not. Because we are. I think that is an important part of this is there's always going to be tons of speculation, certainly when the window is open, but even before that and even maybe when the window is not even close to open. Uh, but you do you then have to know sort of who can be trusted and who are just throwing stuff out because they want those headlines. Uh, Metro, is that the other one that is like literally available on the tube and can't be trusted for anything? Yeah, yeah they, give a, they give that away for free. So yeah. take from that what you will. But let's 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 get into the speculation side. First of all, Graham, this was this was uh, your baby, your idea. But I, I'm I'm very excited to do it. But what was it about speculation that you felt like w- was worth uh, spending an yeah. episode on? So it was actually the Neymar story that we spoke about, not in the show, but on mm-hmm. in our um, in our TSS Slack group. I put in some sort of joke about Neymar, and you came back saying, ah, "I don't, I don't really believe that." And and I agreed. Um, I think I covered this on today's listener questions that we recorded. That story very much smells like an agent trying to drum up interest in, in, in his client when there maybe isn't that much interest. And so I think maybe we take it for granted as football fans who are very much online football fans as well, who are used to and accustomed to transfer speculation. And obviously the two of us have been involved with the media as well or are involved with the media. We maybe take it for granted that ability to decipher what is legitimate and what isn't legitimate, but... Maybe some football fans don't have that ability yet, and I could say I, I would say you can definitely um, kind of learn learn that sort of thing. We're going to go through some of the signs and, and and flags that you can spot in transfer speculation and where that speculation comes from, and just understanding how it comes to be and why it is such a dominating part of being a football fan in the modern age. And uh, I said this in the beginning. I feel like this is the time. This specific time is the time when speculation gets the strongest it's before the window is open but it's close enough we've got a month until the window actually opens when players can actually move Uh, is that right july 1st is when players can actually be registered and moved so the english window i found the date the date was june 14th but for the rest of europe it's uh it's july 1st so yeah generally around this time of year is is when the window opens which is obviously when you get a lot of uh well it coincides with a lot of transfer speculation and then you get fans screaming on june 4th like why haven't we made any signings because you literally can't but that i think is part of it is that you're gearing up for it because right now moves can't actually happen you can agree on them ahead of time and sometimes you'll get that being publicly acknowledged but it feels like it's the perfect time to speculate without having to admit like oh never mind we were totally wrong because next day you can just print 12 more different rumors based on uh my best friend's sister's boyfriend's brother is the gardener of milton Keynes, and he heard this like it's it's you can go as far as you want to with it little milton Keynes shot for ryan bailey if he's listening uh so i do think it is most common now but graham do you feel like it ever actually stops because it does seem like we're getting rumors throughout the season especially with some bigger name players 
I don't feel like it stops in 2023. I mean, I remember as a kid, it used to fade away during the season, which was maybe the opposite of what you might expect, given that until 20, uh, 2002, excuse me, it was possible for teams to buy players throughout the season. It's only the, tw- the 2002-2003 season that transfer windows are, are introduced. But I I think having this this window system actually created this, this sort of build-up that now essentially lasts the whole season. So when you get transfer speculation in March, it's with an eye to the summer. And you're right, Taylor, I hadn't, I hadn't quite considered that, that, that aspect of it. What you're saying is essentially a lot of transfer speculation. The, the, the earlier, the less accountability there mm-hmm. is for that speculation, where if, if it is wrong, you go, well, you know, it was, a, it was three months before the transfer window opened and there was a lot of things changed. And sometimes that is actually the case. But nonetheless, it, it doesn't really stop now. I think that's linked to social media. Maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that. But now in the social media age, obviously, there are aggregator accounts that just churn out rumors that have no real source. And you go looking for that source. And that used to be part of my job was to find that source. And sometimes there isn't a source. They've just cited Marka and Marka haven't reported anything at all. So that is, yeah. that is quite common in the, in the modern age. Yeah. I, I think also this window of time is sort of important for pulling people in and almost trapping you by your emotion because we're, we're nearing the end of the season in some leagues. Some leagues have already finished. And though the Premier League, for example, just wrapped up this past weekend, still have the FA Cup, obviously, but the league itself is done. Um, I think there could be this idea that like, oh, everybody's burnt out. It's been a really long season. We'll come back with with the transfer window maybe a week before it opens. But I think this is an important time for like Liverpool. We're still in the conversation for top four, but with two games to go, Manchester United win that game against Chelsea, and now it's sort of like, eh, we know we're not going to be in top four. But there's always next year. Arsenal, I know that they're not going to challenge Man City for the title, but there's always next year. We were top four. And I think so much of transfer speculation in this particular time period is fueled by people's hope and people's belief. And that is like one of my rules for trusting is to remove your hope or your like belief (laughs) from the equation. Because so many rational people I know who are very smart, who can explain the game tactically and know what's happening and know how things are going to work, will still be like... But maybe Neymar would make Manchester United better. And I think there is just this idea that, oh, there's an opportunity for us to be better without any sort of repercussion or reality. I want to speculate wildly. And that's at the core of our fascination with transfer speculation, right? It's is that there that next season's gonna be this season. Yeah. And and it's hope, right? right that, and yeah. that 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 one player, I mean I'm very rarely does one player change things dramatically, but you know, I remember Bruno Fernandez coming into Manchester United and all of a sudden they were a, a different team for a season and a half. There's that hope you're gonna find that player that makes everything click. And the way that transfer speculation is written up is kind of with that framework. I mean to use Manchester United again, Harry Kane this this season all the speculation around him and Manchester United the framework of that is Manchester United need a number nine and if they get the number nine they're going to challenge for the title next season that's why that speculation is so compelling so it's about finding the narrative for each club and then finding the speculation that just swirls that narrative even even quicker so is it worth getting into where we can find speculation or should we go into 
like the root of that speculation because I think those are two different things. You talked about social media, uh, newspapers, obviously a big one over in the UK and and abroad. Uh, maybe less newspaper coverage here in the United States. I can't say the Richmond Times Dispatch has daily coverage of Harry Kane. Will he? Won't he go to Manchester United? Uh, but I think social media is is a big one, obviously yeah. Fabrizio Romano. I think that's kind of his bread and butter these days. Those do seem to be the main outlets. I would say like online. Uh, editions of newspapers are where I would go. The Guardian, chief among yeah. them. I would say Twitter is obviously a big one. And for me, Reddit is a great place to go to sort of see the story. But then also you get a lot of discourse about it, which oftentimes is not very helpful. But occasionally you'll get the, oh, th- this is being linked because this guy, this move has already happened or this agent is trying to bring this person in. And there will be a little bit of clarity provided there. The only issue with Reddit, and I do use Reddit, not as much as I think you do, Taylor, but is just finding the source of the discussion sometimes is quite difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, So in an ideal world, you would have someone create the thread or whatever you call that, the post, and the the report would be at the top. That's the best best case scenario. It's where you've got the reporting right at the top, and then you have the discussion below it. A lot of a lot of the time that that isn't the way that Reddit works, but um, yeah, if you go on really any newspaper website and find the soccer section, um, so I'm talking about maybe some of the the British newspapers, so the Guardian you mentioned, Daily Mail, the Sun, if you're a glutton for punishment, uh, some of the European sites as well, so Marca, um, Calcio Mercato, and in, in, in Italy as well, Gazzetto dello Sport. Or if you go to, from an American point of view, if you go to MajorLeagueSoccerSoccer.com, there will be transfer speculation there as well. My first of, uh, port of call, excuse me, usually in the morning, not long after I wake up, is the BBC gossip column. So if you go on to the BBC football page, you will see a little tab at the top that says gossip. Click on that and you'll find an aggregated list of the day's biggest transfer stories and, and rumours and also links to the original source. So that's a pretty good place to start and generally a good way to keep on top of you know what the speculation is at, at any given time. I think um, with regards to social media, the way that transfer speculation ha- is, is now circulated has changed dramatically over the last two decades. So when I was, when I was a kid, I remember getting a, a paper every day purely to read the, the, the transfer news in the summer. And, and I did this especially if I was on holiday in a, in a foreign country. We used to do campsites in France and Italy. And so I'd get a, a paper, usually in a, another language that I don't speak, um, but you would be able to tell what was happening. So I remember reading about Rio Ferdinand going to my United. I don't remember why I remember that one so vividly, but that was maybe a 2002 after that World Cup. Um, and that was the big story um, of the day. But back in the day, there was kind of, the way it used to be was there was a smoke signal just before a transfer was about to happen. And that was about it. There wasn't this constant drip, drip, drip reporting about different players going to different clubs. If Jude Bellingham joins a new club this summer, as looks likely now, that will be the culmination of about two to three years of transfer speculation. We had that a similar thing with another Dortmund player, Jaden Sancho, when he went to Manchester United, and another kind of two to three year process that we had there. And so maybe I'm, you know, maybe I'm being naive. Maybe I just don't remember it correctly. But pre-social media, I don't remember those extremes. I don't remember everything being drawn out to such the extent that it is yeah. now. I think I think that's definitely the case because if you had. Even like online, if you have The Guardian writing the rumor mill, which is one that I really enjoy because of their approach to it. Uh, but I think you'll get a few comments there and maybe there's an idea of, oh, that one got, you know, a number of comments. So people are interested in that story. But when you tweet something, tweet a headline and people click it or respond to it and you can literally see the engagement, I think right there, 
there is a, oh, people seem really interested in Jude Bellingham and what he's going to do. And then I think you're going to get even more reporting of that story, more coverage, more rumors being uh, brought out, or even little details just kind of keeping that one front and center because people seem to want to follow that one, especially when you have a club like Dortmund that have a proven record of developing players and then sometimes selling them on, but sometimes refusing to sell them, that it, it can create a, what's going to happen here? Is this going to be a saga sort of story? And, and so I think social media does allow that to spread more readily. You can track it more readily, but then also you get more engagement and more sort of comments on it, which then furthers the speculation. Yeah. The reporting is incentivized, right, in the social media age where yeah. you either get new followers or you get likes or impressions or whatever. And that's a big difference from newspapers where, yeah, maybe you sell more newspapers, but you're never really sure what those people buy in the newspaper or, or what they're buying it for. Um, so, yeah, that's a big difference. Which which I kind of prefer, to be honest, just because I think I, I do I do sort of treat all speculation with a grain of salt. I think the transfer window is is my favorite thing and my least favorite thing simultaneously because uh, I think there there's so much faith put into the stories and belief put into the stories that can be leaked by an agent or leaked by one specific club or the player's representatives or whatever it may be. And I think anytime people start to get into it, of like, oh, this player's definitely going there. It, it feels like if you either have to jump on board that train and be like, how is Romelu Lukaku going to make Aston Villa better? Since I guess that's what we're all saying is happening. Uh, like, you either have to jump on or be the one who's like, well, I don't know. But then you're not engaged in that conversation. And, and then it makes it difficult in that social media age at the same time. So I think I tend to prefer to stay out of the rumors and just be like, oh, that's interesting. We'll see what happens. I basically don't. I'm, I'm sort of a believer of the don't believe anything until the player is holding the shirt. And even then, you might end up getting a reversal somewhere along the way. Yeah, there's there's a routine to it, right? And I I am um, part of the media, part of the media, part of the written media. So I, I I write and blog for a number of different outlets, and that's the way it goes, right? A player gets linked to a club. I will then pitch an idea on how that player is going to impact that club. I write about it, and then the whole kind of circus moves on, regardless oh. of whether that player actually signs or, or, but see, or not. But that's actually, sorry to interrupt you, that's just, that's informative to me. That is, how could this, how could Neymar fit in at Manchester United? Is an interesting idea if you are approaching it not from a, well, you know, he's a, he's a great player and he's been really important for Brazil and the PSG, like, it, it, I feel like so often some of those articles are very, here's the basic gist that I know about Neymar incorporating some of the negative stuff but Manchester United need a creative attacker, and you can sort of write it without knowing anything. I think going into, okay, here are the things that this player is useful at. Here's what they are, are very good at. Here's what they bring to the table. Here's what that club needs, so you can see how it could work. Or, also importantly, you can see how it might not work. And I think that is equally valid of why this rumor doesn't make sense. I think anything that adds usable information to the conversation, positive or negative, I think is very useful, and I, I appreciate. When it's just that sort of, I'm going to write a Neymar to Manchester United generically as possible, but I know at least a few people will click on it, so I'll get some attention that way. That annoys me. And when people state as fact, oh, this is definitely happening, my sources have confirmed it, and very quickly you learn that that person is just throwing that out there because you'll remember the times that they were right and you will forget the times that they were wrong. There are a few notable American journalists who are uh, sometimes guilty of that. Uh, that also is pretty tedious, in my opinion. Yeah, one of the things I wish fans were maybe just a little bit more aware to or aware of is this idea of like winning the transfer market is is 
I think yeah. what fuels a lot of transfer speculation yeah. where, you know, it's built up, players in some instances are built up to be almost as important as like trophies themselves. Signing a player is the be all and end all for some clubs. And if they don't sign that player, then you get anger, you get protests, you know, just social media fury when actually it's not really that big of a deal. <laughs> like if you look at successful teams, a lot of them haven't really built their teams through the transfer market necessarily. I know they've signed players, but, you know, for example, to use a personal example, Sterling Albion, there was a little bit of discussion about some of the players we signed last summer because we went for depth rather than, rather than starters. We finished seventh the season before, and then this season we win the title. So there was no correlation between the signings, not really between the, the players that we signed and then how we did the following season. I think a lot of fans believe if we win the transfer market, we win on the pitch. And I think a lot of us said that maybe Spurs had had a good transfer window last summer. And that is proof that that isn't always the case. And actually is often not the case. There's really not a correlation. Yeah. And then very quickly, those same outlets that were talking about how Chelsea won the transfer market. Look at how much they spent and look at all the players they brought in three weeks later when the manager sacked and there's chaos. Chelsea in disarray. How did they think this would ever work? It's like, I don't know. You all are the ones who are reporting that they won the transfer window. <laughs> what, why don't you all look at yourselves for a moment? So, yeah, I, I think I think that is a big one for me is like I, I, I enjoy the speculation. A lot of the time, I think I enjoy it from a like, well, that's a new one. And that's where I said the Guardian's rumor mill is one that I, I enjoy because they, they report the speculation, they report the rumors, but they do so. Like Nico Gaetan was one that was always linked with Manchester United. And I think there was one of like Nico Gaetan, who has previously joined Manchester United 13 different times, will join the club this season. Like, like those sort of little jabs that tell you they're not taking it too seriously either, I think is my yeah. favorite way of doing it. Cause when you, yeah, when you do get into the like, they spent this and this and this, and they brought in these four players, and they are going to be the best team in England. And then that same writer two weeks later is talking about how Brighton sold their players and spent reasonably, and they're the best run club in England. It's like, well, you wait, hold on. Now, which one is it? You're not really married to any one philosophy, and it makes me confused. Yeah, I think that's a good place to be. Not don't not to um don't take it too seriously. I mean, it does matter to a certain extent. I'm not saying transfers can't affect a, a club's or a team's fortunes. Of course, they can. But there's a lot more going on in football for, for transfers to be the right. only thing that matters. Yeah. Let, let, with that in mind, because uh, I hear you, but I want to like kind of go down that road of there's a lot more going on in the world of football, certainly. But when it comes to transfers, I think there's a lot more going on. And that is one that not that I'm in, in anyone's inner circle. I've always said before, I'm not. I don't really consider myself a journalist because I'm not in there getting briefed by the club. I'm not getting sources calling me and saying, hey, this is happening. I, I, we sort of see the news and then read as much as we can and discuss it with the information we have. But, but I think one thing with all that said that I always am sort of mindful of is that clubs brief journalists, yeah. especially specific journalists, if they have a loyalty to the club. And you will get directors saying, we're definitely doing this. And I think sometimes you'll even get them saying, we're definitely doing this. Off the record, we're not, but it would be great if you could say <laughs> that we were. Like, I think it will go that far. And I think some of that is to keep supporters at bay. If if everyone's mad you haven't made a signing, then you're going to leak. Actually, we're involved in conversations with three, three, three different clubs. And I think people don't sometimes remember that clubs have a huge say in what's getting reported and how it's getting reported. So 
I don't think I can provide insight on much, but maybe on this I can offer something because I'm like you, Taylor. Like, I wouldn't consider myself a journalist now, but going back maybe six years, I I, I was a reporter at, mm. um, at STV on on football as well. So I used to be the one, not that I was like a Scottish Fabrizio Romano or anything, but I used to be the one the one reporting transfer news Graham, when I worked there. Scottish Fabrizio Romano, <laughs> Ruffin. got it, cool. Yes, my new Twitter handle. Yep. Um, yeah, so I, I kind of have a little bit of an idea of how the sausage is made and how transfer speculation comes to be and how not all transfer stories are equal. And you're absolutely right. Reporters get briefed by clubs all the time. I would say only when it suits the club. Um, it's when you're going to get that briefing. So here's an example of when that might happen. A, a club might be on a bad run of form. They might be in bad shape. But to appease fans, they might leak they're close to signing a, a star player. That was that was straight from the Ed Woodward playbook. He did that all the time. If I'm guessing how it's working in Scottish football right now, you know, Celtic are the dominant team. Rangers are just off the back of a pretty disappointing season. I'd imagine they are imagine they are briefing a, a number of journalists on targets they're going for because they don't want the story to be about how disappointing their season has been. That's not what they want fans to focus on. They want that hope that we talked about, that they want that to be the focus of the agenda at the moment. The most common, in my experience anyway, the most common type of transfer story is one that comes from an agent. So agents yeah. want their players in the media. They want their players to look in demand. So agents will have relationships with certain journalists and, and, and media members and they will drop them a message to give them some information. I, I've, I've had those messages, not for a long, long time, I might say, but in the past I've had those messages, particularly on transfer deadline day. Um, it could be which clubs want a player. It could be which a club a player wants to go to it could be contract length contract length i don't know why always seems agents are always very keen to give you contract length um i think maybe because it shows how good a job they've done look i've got my client a five-year deal they're always telling you that um it could be a player is due for a, a medical somewhere so when i worked at stv we would send the cameras to mar hall which is the hospital that players would would get their medicals done so yeah agents clubs they're primary sources and of course that then muddies the muddies the water because you're maybe not getting the full story or even an accurate story going back to that Neymar transfer rumor or story that we were talking about which we both doubted are Manchester United actually interested in Neymar I certainly doubt that they're in advanced discussions with Neymar which was the story and um, very occasionally information might come from a player or a manager so back in the day play, uh, journalists would have direct re- relationships with those people that was that was very very common they would go for a drink after games or after training or whatever and now agents have kind of put themselves in the middle of the process and also clubs have more control over the narrative but occasionally something comes direct from the horse's mouth i always think frank lampard is um quite close with a number of of high profile journalists in in england which is why he keeps getting put forward for jobs um i reckon but yeah frank lampard was always good for transfer stories um, i remember at everton there was a couple of journalists he was close to and you you would know where it had come from but that isn't so common now as as i say agents and clubs tends to be where it comes from yep and and with that in mind with the agent side of things sometimes that's trying to manufacture a move elsewhere. Sometimes that's leaking that a move is happening for that player. But uh, to what you're saying about Ed Woodward and how he would sort of use that to deflect and talk about, you know, we're pursuing this or leaking that we're in the market for this player or whatever it may be, that works both ways. And I remember a time period in which every time a Barcelona player or a Real Madrid player wanted a new deal, they were suddenly linked with Manchester United and there were serious talks underway. And that 
almost always in my mind was coming from their agent because Manchester United became the club that is always looking for a star player because they're always struggling. They're always willing to spend way too much money and give way too much money to that player. So we're going to link Sergio Ramos with Manchester United and then Real Madrid are going to give him a bigger deal because there is theoretical leverage. And I think sometimes there is a little bit of truth there. I'm sure agents will reach out and say, hey, you know, Sergio's frustrated. He wants a little bit more money. He's interested in coming to England. Is there interest there? Well, sure. Let let me think about what we could do. I'll get back to you. And then right there, you can leak Manchester United interested in Sergio Ramos and Real Madrid are going to panic a little bit. And I think that is the other side of the gamesmanship you're going to get from agents, that they're using those reports to drive an interest, even if that interest is sort of indirect in what they're trying to accomplish. Chelsea and PSG, those are the current cl- clubs yeah. right now. Manchester United still to a, a certain degree, but I think there's an acceptance that maybe United are doing things a little bit smarter now. But Chelsea and PSG are being used as those those clubs at the moment. So Grant, what are the things that you sort of look to if you are trying to, as I've said, I think my approach is just wait and see if that player ends up signing and along the way, enjoy the speculation, but don't get too sort of caught up in like oh they're definitely gonna sign this guy they're definitely gonna sign this guy and then when they don't oh the summer's ruined i can't believe they've let another player fall through the cracks whereas they may not have been in for that player at all in the beginning but if you are paying attention to the speculation do you have thoughts on how to kind of keep yourself in a rational mindset or maybe how to sort of rule out some things and how to trust others yeah i definitely think there are some ways you can tell if a transfer story is legit so this is the these are the things that I am looking for and look there will be some stories that maybe don't follow this uh follow these guidelines but these yeah. are the things Hard I'm looking and for fast rules 100% <laughs> go ahead <laughs> yeah there you go um so I'm wanting a byline I want on a, on a story I'm looking for an actual person's name oh, attached yes. to the story yes. <laughs> so if you click on a story and it says you know by daily mail staff yeah. or by editorial staff or by ESPN staff um, you can pretty much discount that straight away in my experience because if a journalist has a genuine scoop, they'll want to big themselves up as much as possible. So their their name will be on it. There might be an exclusive tag in the headline as well because the newspaper wants its readers to know that they're the only ones that have got this story, even if th- that isn't always true. There's sometimes when very, multiple papers or outlets will claim an exclusive on the same thing. I think that's just down to agents uh, messaging multiple people. But nonetheless, you want a byline, you want maybe an exclusive tab, a tag. In, in the copy of the story, you might also have things like The Guardian Understands. That, to me, reads that they have some information behind it. If, however, it's citing another source or the old classic according to reports without actually mentioning what the reports are or where they are, um, I'm immediately suspicious. So th- those sort of things that I, I've, I think I've just learned over time as, as, as a football fan, I like to think I'm okay at detecting what's legit and what's not. Um, and, yeah. and as I say, anyone and anyone can kind of learn those things in the modern age, in the social media age. There are some signs that you can kind of look to as to whether there's some weight behind a story. That's not to say that every one of these stories actually materializes, but there's some weight behind those stories. And and with that, when you're talking about the language used and the sourcing, I used to think that oh, if there's no quotes, then it's not genuine because if you're saying uh, uh, Aston Villa, I don't know, I keep going Aston Villa, Newcastle are are like. Definitely, like, sources in Newcastle have confirmed that they are definitely interested in this player. I used to wait for the quote that was like, oh, okay, here they are saying we are interested in this player. And if you don't see a quote, then it's not genuine. But, of course, if you're speaking 
sort of on background because you want yeah. little details to filter out, you're not going to say like, but sure, quote me as an unnamed source. So I, I, I think in that way, you don't always have to have quotes. Quotes certainly will be more revealing. But I think it it is that, uh, uh, you know, sources close to Newcastle or sources within Newcastle have confirmed blah, 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 blah. And you will get that the age, uh, uh, the athletic is really good about uh, drawing a distinction between uh, the player's agent, the player's representative, the player's family, or the player's entourage. And I think all of those can mean different things depending on who you're talking to. So I think sort of establishing where this connection is coming from or how this news is coming through is an important part of that story pretty much always. And to your point, when it's the staff and then according to sources, sources plural, also seems like we saw it on uh, the, the AP Newswire. And so that is our source. Yeah, so in my experience, certainly with transfer speculation, you're just not going to get a source giving you an on-the-record yeah, right. quote about a story. Um, we we always used to be double double sourced, so the term we would use is like stand it up. So someone on desk would get you know uh, one source, whether it's an agent or whoever, telling them right this is going to happen we then have to stand it up with another source not connected to that source so that could be i mean most common would be agent gives you a a sniff of a story right my player's on this on on his way to this club we would then call the club the club goes okay well we're obviously not going to give you anything on the records but yes we'll brief you this is close that's your double source right you've had it from two sources that are not connected it could be like a player's family member as well if you have a route in there um so yeah we always used to double source things and and when you do that as i say you want to big yourself up either as a journalist or an outlet you want to be like we've got the story so there's things there's as i say bylines there's stuff like guardian understands those are the sort of things you would put in the copy in terms of other sources you can trust other ways to know if a thing is is valid a, a big part of Reddit that I enjoy, I've, I've seen a lot of different club subreddits do this, is they have tiers of journalists. And so when yeah. a reporter tweets something or reports on something, they'll usually, if they're putting that that sort of link in there, it will be with like tier one for a, a person who can be trusted. And that kind of gives you an immediate indicator that, okay, there is usually some semblance of truth or some factual basis for what this person is saying. So I think that yeah. goes a long way towards establishing trust. Uh, Graham, is the BBC still considered a gold standard? Because that used to be one not too long ago that was like, oh, if the BBC are reporting that this deal is happening, then this deal is happening. Yeah, so the BBC is like the final, and in my experience anyways, like the final barrier. Like they report things just as it's about to happen. So if the BBC report this is happening, it's it's pretty much done. It's a done deal. I think a lot of the well-sourced transfer stories from the BBC came from David Ornstein, who obviously works for The Athletic now. And I would consider him to be... Um, I'm going to do some names, right, for, for, for tiers. Yeah. So top tier, I would have Ornstein of The Athletic. I think his transfer column, I think it's on a Monday, um, is always really good reading. His information is top tier. You can pretty much take what he says as 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 gospel. I think the aforementioned Romano, Fabrizio Romano, is, a, is another top tier source. And in terms of the social media hierarchy, and there is a hierarchy in social media where Romano will tweet something, you can then guarantee within the next hour a, a load of other outlets will jump on that bandwagon. Now, a lot of people on social media say, oh, you're just using Romano there as your source. 
that may happen with some outlets. I think what's more likely is outlets are alerted to a story, they then contact their sources, they give them the same thing as Romano. But Romano seems to be first with a lot of stories. So um, he's he's tier one for me. For MLS stories, Tommy Scoops, Tom Bogart, he's up there as, as, as the best for MLS as far as I'm concerned, also works for The Athletic now. So they, they have a really good roster of, of transfer people. My mid-tier, a few names, so DiMarzio, um, he actually used to be top tier a few years ago. Oh, he, was yeah, he was in the Ornstein and Romano category. But he now, he was with Sky in Italy and he now has his own site. And I think there's a bit more, how do I say this politely, <laughs> um, non-solid stuff on his site Theater? these days where where maybe it's kind of more click, click yeah. you know, clickbait. Clickbait's a bit strong. There's still some good stuff on there. But he is very well connected, maybe not as trustworthy as he was a few years ago. Miguel Delaney has good stories for The Independent. Sam Wallace for The Telegraph always has um, well-sourced Chelsea stuff. This is the other thing. There are certain journalists who you can rely on to give you good stuff for certain clubs. So Wallace is good for Chelsea. Mark Ogden is connected to the Manchester clubs for ESPN. James Pierce is he's he's maybe top tier for for Liverpool stuff actually he's another um athletic person and then um you have the bottom tier and I'm not I'm not going to give you any any names because that that is maybe just a bit too too rude but you kind of got the like the aggregators on social media they're always pretty suspect because they're anonymous there's no accountability they do this thing where they link one source and then that source links another source and it's all one big circle with no actual root. I also think some of the British tabloid sites as well, the red tops, as as we would call them, that's not to say that they don't have legitimate stories. They do, and that's actually one of the ways, the things I've just talked about with the, the signs, you know, if you look at the Sun or the Mirror or whoever, they will have, you know, exclusives with bylines, with information. They do have stories from time to time, but they also have a lot of that unsourced, according to reports, stories as well on those on those sites too. I Dan, uh, I want to I want to try something, Graham. I I said Dan because Dan is the name I'm about to say to you. Uh, I'm going to give you a headline, and then I want to kind of see what your thoughts are on where this is coming from. So this is uh, Dan Kilpatrick, who is a Spurs Tier One journalist. Uh, he tweeted. Tottenham will Tottenham will refuse to sell Harry Kane to a domestic rival this summer. We're obviously recording this May 31st of 2023. If you're listening to it five years from now, you know what's happened. Uh, Tottenham <laughs> will refuse to sell Harry Kane to a domestic rival this summer. Manchester United are preparing to test Spurs' resolve with a bid amid potential interest from Real Madrid. My first thought is that that is Daniel Levy saying we are not selling him for any amount of money, which then immediately means... That means we want over like 150 million, uh, but we wouldn't mind selling him to Real Madrid. Yeah, that that basically means, look, my United, if you're gonna if you want him, you're gonna have to pay an absolutely exorbitant amount. Otherwise, we're just gonna do this and sell him to Real Madrid, and you can't get him. Like that's and so that is, I guess, an example of somewhat truth and then somewhat manipulation because the refuse to sell right away to me. I I don't believe that's true. If Manchester United came in and said, we'll give you $500 million for him, I can't imagine Tottenham's turning that down. That's obviously a ludicrous amount, but it, it, it serves the point of, I think they're establishing their initial position of he is not for sale. So if you want him, you're going to have to wow us. And I think at the same time, if you are a Tottenham fan, uh, all of the jokes have been about uh, like what will happen if Harry Kane goes, how will they do in the championship, all of those sort of 
uh, self-deprecating jokes. And I think this is also Spurs trying to get out ahead of those and say, like, don't worry, he's not going anywhere. But if he does, we're going to have a ton of money. But if you yeah. say, but if he does, you're immediately saying, like, oh, we definitely are selling him. And so I think you have to draw this hard of a line this early on. Yeah, this sort of thing happens all the time. I cast my mind back to Enzo Fernandez in January, where the day before that deal happens, Benfica are saying, we are not selling Enzo Fernandez in this transfer window. You'll need to come back in the summer. That was essentially them saying to Chelsea, you're going to have to pay a silly amount of money to sign Enzo Fernandez, which, hey, funny uh, funny enough for Benfica, that's what Chelsea did with Todd Bowley. He was obliged to do that. Um, So, yeah, these sort of things happen. All right, Graham. Uh, I'm now just in the Manchester United subreddit. Uh, this is tier four, which is unreliable, from uh, uh, Abola in Portugal. Diogo oh Costa has played his last game for FC Porto. He hasn't been selected for the cup final. He should head to the Premier League. He's desired by Manchester United, who admit to paying his 75 million euro release clause. He has long been followed by Manchester United. Uh, that reads to me like an agent yeah. <laughs> who has spotted... A club that may need a goalkeeper this summer, a big club that is dominating the agenda with that discussion around David De Gea and has gone, yeah, sure, my United want him. Uh, Let's see what other clubs are interested as well. The who admit to paying his 75 million euro release clause is confusing. All I can figure there is that they are capable of doing it and they have expressed interest in the past. So we're just going to combine those things. But that right there is one that I think is why you get sort of the the tiers and the less reliable tiers behind them. Um, Graham, are there any other headlines you want to try to dissect? Or is there anything you want to go over in this one? Not, not, uh, I don't have them to hand. I'm sure it wouldn't take me much time to find <laughs> some headlines. Yeah. Uh, as I said, the BBC go- gossip column is always, is always good for that, for that. I mean, today's story, Karim Benzema, ah, yeah. considering a 400 million euro offer from Saudi Arabia. Now, that may well be true. There might be some truth in that. But the fact that that has come to light very much says to me that has that's his agent that has leaked that to journalists and he wants the best offer possible from Real Madrid, who I think are negotiating his contract extension right now. So that's the thing with the, with these rumours and, and, and these stories is that there is often truth in them. Most of the time, there's some truth in them, but you might only get one part of the story or it might be reported with some kind of greater intention in mind. I've got one more for you. This one is a little trickier. From Nizar Kinsella. This one's just uh, in in our soccer. Thiago Silva wants to stay at Chelsea, but there is uncertainty as Chelsea need to offload centre-backs. Chelsea are expected to try to offload... This is a long headline. Chelsea are expected <laughs> to, to try to offload Kaladu Koulibaly this summer, but the £33 million signing is on almost 200000 a week and is reluctant to leave. That feels to me like the club ha- has briefed them on, we want to offload center backs, it's going to be tricky, and then the reporter can do some of the details themselves from what is readily available online. See, that could be, it could be that, or it could be the other side, the agent saying to Chelsea, look, Koulibaly's on £200,000 a week, and you are too. not giving Thiago Silva a two-year contract, you're only willing to give him a one-year contract extension. I could see that coming from either side, to be honest. And it is a little bit, I think the agent, I think you're right, Graham. I, I'm, I'm now fully in your camp, because I could also see the agent being like, you all don't want to give him a deal, but you're willing to pay Kaladu Koulibaly this much money? Like, he would clear your books a lot more if you got rid of him. Like, so I, I, I think I think that is that is some some pretty smart 
uh, perspective there, Mr. Ruffin. The only other thing I wanted to note, and this moves away from the headlines, is just I think uh, maybe a thing that has also changed transfer speculation and the way we talk about it, maybe not the way we talk about it, but just the enthusiasm for it, is the increased interest in football in the United States. And not just like, oh, Americans always make things bigger. But the idea, I think, for a lot of Americans, if you are new to soccer, the way players move is wholly different from the way it happens in the United States, where we have trades and you have drafts and you're trading draft picks. Maybe sometimes you're trading money. Uh, A lot of the times it is you're trading five different pieces. And because you don't have promotion relegation, we can trade our best player to get five pieces that we'll use to build and the next year will be better. There is that sort of work that's done. And a good example of this, I don't know why it's the one I always go to or first comes to mind, but is when way back when the LA Clippers were going to be the greatest franchise of all time when Blake Griffin was there uh, and they traded for Chris Paul. And I remember somebody was filming him when he found out that that trade had happened uh, and it was him and maybe DeAndre Jordan. I think we're like, oh, my God, this is incredible. This is incredible. And then the first thought from Blake Griffin after that is, wait, who'd we give up? And it's that. I think it's that with Americans, whenever you're getting somebody, you're always giving up pieces. And maybe it's a draft pick. Maybe it's a one-away player, and so you're only giving up something small. But you still have to give something up. And when it comes to soccer, uh, uh, European soccer especially, it's just a rich owner's money that you're having to give up. And so I think when you don't have to really give up a piece, but you're just adding pieces, it goes back to the idea that, wait till next year, we were seventh yeah. last year, and we're keeping that whole team, and we've added a midfielder and an attacker, we're going to be the best team in England. Like I think it allows you to have that enthusiasm expand without having to have that sort of, ooh, but we did lose that, and we don't have that draft pick, that could be trouble. I think it just sort of allows full steam ahead. Yeah, I think there is instant gratification yeah. in the soccer transfer market where you're right, in American sports and I follow a little bit of basketball, I mean I'm a bit of a fair weather fan, but oftentimes in basketball with trades, it takes a long time to actually figure out or for it to mm-hmm. become apparent whether trades have worked. So I think of like the Nets getting together Durant and Kyrie Irving. And the reflex reaction to that is, oh, this is going to be great and the Nets are going to win championships and Steve Nash is in charge and this is going to be so good. And then obviously it doesn't really pan out that way. And in football, that is also the case. But because there isn't that giving up element, as you mentioned, you can you can treat tra- signings as straight wins, instant wins, where if my net get Harry Kane this summer, it's, oh my God, we've got one of the best number nines in the world and we really need a number nine and we've not had to give up anything at all other than this amount of money that doesn't mean anything to fans, really. I mean, it's, it's it, you know, it's the club's money in Manchester United's case. Um, so I agree. I think that is, that is, that is part of it. Um, I always think with MLS, that's one of the biggest barriers to MLS growing is the fact that it, Mm-hmm. It, I know that it does have a transfer market and clubs pay money for players, but there are still a lot of mechanisms, as we talk about often on the show, and that just stops the the rumor mill from being mainstream in MLS. And and I think if you remove some of those mechanisms and those barriers, MLS grows and yeah. because of that transfer speculation. I mean, I am I am more plugged in than I think a lot of American soccer fans when it comes to Major League Soccer. I'm certainly not a Tommy Scoops or a Joe Lowry or a person who watches every single MLS game or every single one of their team's MLS games. 
but I still have to ask people who know more than I do, like, is that good? Is that a lot of gam to give up? Is that a lot of tam to give up? I don't know. And you'll get those sort of like Paul Tenorio being like, I can't believe they gave up that much gam. And it's like, yeah, me neither. I have no idea. Is that a lot? Like, so I think you're right that it's like – like a concrete number of they paid 100 million for that player. We all know 100 million pounds is a lot of money. Somehow less money these days, but still a lot of money. Whereas yeah. X amount in GAM and a draft pick and three international roster spots, that's where it does get a little bit murkier. And the other thing is, like, let's just say we establish that is a lot of GAM to go to one club. I'm not entirely sure what a club does with that GAM. <laughs> Whereas, like, if yeah. Man give Harry uh, give Spurs, you know, 150 million for Harry Kane this summer, it is easier to understand, right, Spurs have 150 million pounds in the bank. Here are some players that they can target with that money. They then give money to other clubs. They then have a, a chunk of money to then go and sign replacements. It's a, it, the, the process and, and the cycle is a lot easier to understand. So, Graham, let's let's... Conclude with this. Do we like transfer speculation? Is it something that we enjoy? My assumption is that you are slightly more positive about it than I. Yeah, I enjoy it to a certain extent because I do think it kind of speaks to the instincts of a soccer fan mm-hmm. to have to have that, that hope and next season is our season. And look, even though I just gave the Sterling Albion example of how transfers didn't really play a part other than Kai Fotheringham on loan from Dundee United um, didn't really play much of a part in our season heading into League One this year I've fallen right back into the the circle again where there was a story about a player from our broth coming to us and oh that would be exciting he'd be good right if we could just get him in and maybe a central defender and maybe a central midfielder and a goal scoring winger and I'm searching players and I'm looking on transfer market and I fall into the trap once again yep. but it can it can become tedious um, and I, I get bored with it to a certain extent. Yeah. I mentioned the Bellingham stuff. I am bored of the Bellingham stuff. Now I just want them to go to a club. I was certainly bored of the Jaden Sancho saga, which just ran and ran and ran. Yeah. And by the time it actually happened, I couldn't have cared any less about that transfer. So yes, it's it's fun to imagine how certain players would improve or weaken in some cases. And, and from a, a writing or a podcasting or a journalistic point of view, that, that is certainly a factor for me. But I, I definitely get bored of it by the time we get to the start of August and I am ready for the season to start. And when they had it as the transfer window closing before the start of the season, I think I preferred that. I don't really like this idea of starting the season while the transfer window is, yeah. is, is, is open. I preferred it when they shut it before. That only lasted for like one season, I think, before COVID happened and then they ditched it entirely. I would be in favour of going back to that. Uh, I have two things to say one of which could potentially make this end up being like another 10 minutes so uh, we can engage or not i do not mind speculation broadly speaking i especially don't mind it as i said earlier when it's how could neymar fit in at manchester united and if you want that article to be he couldn't okay but then explain why explain why that would be a bad idea past just the surface level understanding of like, ah, he doesn't really care and he rolls a lot. Well, doesn't even really seem to care about playing for PSG. That's not really meant as a shot at PSG. It's more of a, meant to be an accurate statement that it just feels like they have to pay their players to go applaud the home fans. I don't know if, if that is a good barometer for interest or enthusiasm. So if you're looking at, but Ayrton Hogg has established this style of play with this type of midfielder, this type of attacker, Neymar doesn't really fit any of those boxes, so this is why it doesn't work. Or Neymar could fit these boxes, and it could be a reclamation project, and it could be this. Then I'm interested, because you're making a compelling argument, versus what I absolutely can't stand 
is speculation on the speculation where the initial speculation then somehow becomes fact. And I've seen this too of, can you believe Manchester United are in for Neymar? What are they stupid? And it's just like, well, no, that's a rumor. Like they haven't signed him. If they sign him, then you're more than welcome to say, I don't agree with that. But until then, the way speculation then gets reported as fact, I think also furthers the sort of confusing narrative and and builds up this sort of anger and frustration in people of like, oh, this is a terrible idea. I hate this idea. I can't believe they're doing this when in reality they're not. And I think sometimes Ed Woodward would then be painted. This is my one semi-defensive Ed Woodward would then be painted as a, like, man, he can't make any deal happen. He can't sign any of these players. Yeah, because they were linked with everyone. Exactly. <laughs> and it's like because they're being used to, to, to drum up interest. So that is one part of this. The other thing, and I think you – maybe sort of hit on this previously, and I don't think you'll fully agree, disagree with me. I also believe a like secret that I am, am slowly starting to accept as truth is that I don't think any player with very few exceptions is truly that next level of a difference maker. I think you, you will get somebody like Lionel Messi or Ronaldo in his prime or Erling Holland or Kylian Mbappe. All of the, all of those players I would say are, difference makers for any number of different reasons. But Jaden Sancho, for example, is a prime example of a, a link has been established. There are reasons aside from football, primarily that he's English and primarily that it's seen as like a coup because you're stealing a former Manchester City player. I think there are other factors that made that go on for so long because that interest was there. But there are certainly other players who are as good as Jaden Sancho or could have fit the system or the style for much cheaper. And I go back to somebody like Brighton. I think that's what Brighton are exceptionally adept at is just being practical. And I think Roberto De Zerbi came out at the end of the season and said like, yeah, Alexis McAllister and was it Caicedo? Like we're going to move him on. And just straight up like, yeah, we know we're going to get probably 70 million for each of them. There's nowhere or thereabouts. There's no way we can turn that down and we can use that money for other players who are going to cost us 15 or 20 and then they will fit in and then we'll sell them on the next season or the season thereafter. And, and I think sometimes we see it as FIFA where I'm signing a 95 rated player and they're going to score every single time. And that's going to be the difference. And that's just not really how it works. And I think if you remove the system and the manager and what they're building towards and who else is there, you're sort of removing all the factors that actually tell you if this is going to be a success because you're focused on the number of zeros. Yeah, I mean, if you go through the 20 Premier League teams this season, how many of those teams had their seasons transformed by a, a single signing the, the summer before? Now, the obvious answer might be Erling Haaland, right? Erling Haaland still required a lot of groundwork to actually integrate him into that Man City team. So it wasn't as simple as as, as plug and play. You might have said early in the season, Gabriel Jesus, but then obviously gets that injury. Arsenal still kind of stuck around without him, so I probably would change my opinion on that as well. I think it was down to more than Gabriel Jesus coming into that team. Other than that, like I'm, I'm struggling. Like there's not, there's not a team that had a transformational signing last season in the Premier League. And even Gabriel Jesus is a player who I cannot remember if Arteta would have been involved in coaching him. I can't I think they overlapped though when Arteta was still at City. So right there, there's even that further argument of like, well yeah, that's a player that like uh 
Miguel Arteta would have known about or had familiarity with or had experience with and known how to incorporate him and what he can get out of him. So like that is even an extenuating circumstance. Whereas, yeah, Erling Holland, I think, is just a freak of nature who you know can be transformative. Martin Odegaard would maybe be one, but that's a signing from a couple seasons ago, I think. I don't think, was it last summer or the summer before that that was made? Summer before. Yeah. So even there, that's a transformative signing but that's one that happened, and then you had to develop from there. He doesn't come in and have that. He immediate also had a impact. loan period before that as well. It was on six month yeah, loan. Exactly. Where he he was good, but you wouldn't say he was excellent. And then once he signed permanently, it was excellent. Yeah. So there was still a bedding in period. Yeah, that's and I think that is a key thing. I think Darwin Nunez, I think, could have a very good season next year because he had that year of bedding in and getting used to it. But we don't really talk about that. He's just seen as not as good as Erling Holland. So. That was a failure for Liverpool, and I would definitely not go that far. So I think so often we want to see these things as he is the best winger in the world. No one else comes close. And I just I don't think that's really how it works. I think we want it to work that way because I think we like order. I think humans like lists. I think we like being able to kind of track things and keep track and move uh, that number around. But ultimately, I think if you have a very good scouting system, you're going to have a number of different options who could fit with what you're looking for. And then it's finding the one that fits best within the price range you want. Yeah. And and also just accepting that some deals don't happen. I mean, going back to the Sancho one, I am pretty confident or sure the reason Mine go back for Sancho that second summer is because they don't want the PR hit of we went in for a top target with you know, Dortmund are a big club, but in terms of the hierarchy of European football, a, a, you know, a smaller, lesser club and didn't get the player that we wanted. So we're going to go in a second season and we're going to get him. Even though, as you say, probably more affordable, suitable. I mean, Oligan or Solskjaer wanted a right winger that summer and Jaden Sancho is primarily best on the left. So it wasn't even a particularly great fit for my United at, at, at that time. And I actually think Sancho's a good player. Maybe oh, he yeah. comes good for my United in the end. But that's not really that's not really the point. It's that Manchester United got sucked into this idea of winning the transfer market and couldn't let go of that. And the best run clubs like Brighton, like not this season, obviously, but Leicester in, in, in the past, Brentford comes come to mind as well. They they don't. That's not how they operate. They 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 ha- they have a much more nuanced view of the transfer market. Yeah. I think knowing when to hold them and knowing when to fold them doesn't just apply to poker and Kenny Rogers. I think <laughs> Manchester United going after Anthony for a hundred million. Similarly, I think a very good player, but I think a better, more organized club who don't have a point to prove are negotiating with Ajax while also negotiating with another club for a winger who is maybe number two on their list for less money. And then they could go back to Ajax and say, hey, this is going to happen unless you all reduce your price. But I, I think that doesn't happen sometimes because it then just becomes this public battle of wills and we don't want to lose face or whatever it may be. And and I think that's where clubs sort of start to get into trouble. And that's where I think speculation then runs further rife. So, Graham, I think we've given people some good ways to avoid nonsense speculation, but further follow good speculation, some good sources uh, to keep an eye on, and some ways to keep yourself sane as the transfer window gets closer and closer to opening. Uh, I appreciate you taking close to an hour to talk about uh, (laughs) transfer window speculation. I had a feeling we would end up going this long because this is a pretty fascinating topic. Yeah, it is a fascinating fascinating topic, and and it's a fun one. Like we We all enjoy we all enjoy it. Just, you know, be careful. It's like sex. <laughs> 
everything in moderation, including transfer <laughs> speculation and sex. Uh, Graham Ruffin, thank you, my friend. Uh, it's very much appreciated. Thank you, Till Rotwell. Listeners, thank you all again for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Please, uh, if you like Soccer 101, tell folks about it. If you have somebody in your life who's trying to get into the sport or has a question you think we may have answered, plenty of questions answered in that back catalog. They are all available. Uh, so go back, find those, and uh, spread the word because we love doing Soccer 101. I, I love getting to research one topic, uh, timeless as it may be, uh, each week. So uh, please Keep that word a-spreading, keep on listening, and we will talk to you again very soon.